Hey guys, this is Jeff Stanick with Figured Out Baseball. We've got a great Figured Out Baseball podcast for you today. If you listen to our podcast enough, uh, either on the Figured Out Baseball website or on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, you know that the majority of our guests are college baseball coaches. And I think that a lot of times they're the most relevant people, give the most relevant information for who our audience is. But occasionally I like to bring in, bring in people from other levels of baseball um, for various reasons. And, and especially anytime we have a chance to have a big leaguer on the podcast, I think that there's a lot to be learned from, from a player at that level for sure. So today we're lucky enough to be joined uh, by Andrew Wance, uh, right-handed pitcher for the Los Angeles Angels. I'm very excited to have Andrew on the podcast today. I'll give you a quick background on Andrew before we jump into questions with him. Today's podcast is brought to you by Crossover Symmetry and ArmCare.com. Andrew is from Holly Springs, North Carolina. He played collegiately at UNC Greensboro. Uh, during his sophomore year there is when he really broke out. As a sophomore, he was a first-team all-conference player. He was also conference co-pitcher of the year and led the team as a sophomore in strikeouts, even though he pitched the majority of the year out of the bullpen. He ended up fifth in school history that year, striking out 97 opponents. Um, from there in 2018 as a senior, he was a second-team all-conference player, was drafted in 2018 in the seventh round, by the Angels, made his Major League debut just three years later in 2021. Um, on July 4th, actually, the 4th of July 2021 is when he made his Major League debut. He ended up making 21 big league appearances in 2021. He threw 27 and a third innings, cumulatively struck out 38 batters with a 1.24 whip. Really good uh, rookie season for Andrew. So, Andrew, I want to just thank you for being on the podcast today and for taking the time to kind of share your experiences and your stories with our subscribers. I appreciate being here. I'm looking forward to, you know, giving as much knowledge as I can to uh, your audience. I'm looking forward to it. So I typically like to start with something from the, from the uh, bio that stands out for guys. And for you, I'd honestly like to start with something I, I kind of uh, kind of alluded to, but, but maybe didn't necessarily in the bio. I'd like to talk about um, your experience in college. You, as a, as a freshman, you uh, were primarily in the starting rotation, but then as a sophomore transitioned to the bullpen, which obviously ended up working out for you pretty well. Would you uh, just kind of start there? Would you be able to talk a little bit about your experience? And maybe maybe there's a re specific reason why it happened, but um, your experience moving from the starting rotation to the bullpen um, and, and all the things that came with that, just both sort of how you handled that as a player, um, you know, how your coaches presented it to you in a way that, that hopefully you would uh, – that you would be on board with and, and really buy into and then just mentally kind of how you went in, into that spring and, and how that maybe if it did, if it changed your mentality at all as a player. Yeah. So, um, like you said, I was a starter freshman year converted to the bullpen my sophomore year. And, uh, I guess it was fall of my sophomore year. Um, the coaches proposed coach link, Jared and Jerry Edwards. Um, you know, they proposed me being out of the pen because, um, you know, I would impact more games per week. You know, if you're a starter, you're only throwing one game a week. You know, if I'm a Friday starter, you got every Friday and that's it. Um, and I was a person, and they they knew this going in uh, to sophomore year, that I loved to pitch as often and as frequent as I could. So, you know, they said, you know, would you mind being out of the bullpen? We kind of needed some help in the bullpen. Um, we had a couple freshmen come in my sophomore year who were really good starters. And, um, you know, I was totally up for it. Like I said, I was able to throw two to three times a week and I'm a competitor. So, you know, I wanted to be on the mound as often as I could and impact as many games as I could. And mentally, I, you know, I enjoyed it more. Like I, I enjoyed the rush of, you know, coach calls your name you got to get down to the bullpen get ready quick you know it's a really it's a fun adrenaline you know every time it happens so the transition wasn't really hard for me because it's something I um, I was totally up for and um, <clears throat> actually I saw great success like I said as a reliever you know you're only coming in for two three four innings max and I was the type of guy I'd, I'd wanted to let it eat as soon as I came in you know I didn't really I wasn't too fond of you know throwing eight innings or seven innings like that was just a long day 
it's a long outing. It's a lot of work. And I was more of a max effort guy for two to three innings. So, um, you know, I enjoyed the role. Um, it obviously worked out for me, as you said, and, uh, I'm very grateful that the coaches put me in the bullpen because, you know, that's, that's where I am to this day. With somebody, as somebody who likes to throw as often as you can, obviously your arm care is, is a, a really big part of your game. I'm sure, you know, you've obviously got to, you've got to feel oh, yeah. good from day to day. You've got to be able to bounce back pretty quickly. You've got to be able to have your A stuff as much as possible to be an effective reliever, whether it's in college or the big leagues. Do you mind talking a little bit, Andrew, about, um, you know, what, what you do, what works for you arm care wise to help you to bounce back? And, and you can start with the very, very basic things. Like, do you, do you ice after games? Do you, um, you know, do you get, do you get in the whirlpool? Do you get in the hot tub? Do you, uh, are there specific things you do after you throw, um, you know, with, uh, whether it's with plyos or, or anything else, just, could you talk a little bit about your arm care routine right. and just kind of how you bounce what you do to bounce back as well as you can day to day? Yeah. So that was a big thing. That's a good point you brought up because as a starter, you know, you have six, six days in between starts. So you have time to recover, you know, do your lifts. You have time for all that as a reliever, you know, you could throw on a Friday and then you need to bounce back and be ready for maybe a late appearance on Sunday. So that's one of the things that me and the coaches and the um, strength coach at UNCG, we had to, you know, come up with a routine for me so that I could be as least sore and as ready, you know, as quickly as I could. So let's, let's pretend that we'll go through a scenario. So let's say in college, you, you know, you have three games a weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Let's say I threw two innings on Friday. Um, well, let's rewind. Before I go into the game, uh, I do weighted balls. I do plyos. I do um, Jaeger bands before I step on the mound. Throw, get done. And then after the game, I'll usually, um, well, it depends, you know, if it's a inning to two innings, I usually try to get a quick lift in, kind of flush the body out, upper and lower body. I'll do uh, crossover bands. I'm really big into those. Do more plyo balls. Um, and then I'll do some sort of conditioning, whether it be pulls after the game, uh, hop on the bike for 10 to 15 minutes, just try to get the blood flowing and, um, you know, get the lactic acid out of the arm. That's what helped me uh, be least sore as I could. Um, I didn't do too too much icing. Now, what I do do now is I'll, it's called contrasting. So if you go in a cold tub for two minutes and you hop in the hot tub for four minutes and you kind of do that cycle three or four times and that kind of helps the body stay fresh. Um, but I think that's about all I would do. I, you know, get a lift after the game, do some running, arm care, plyos, and then um, more. So I threw on Friday. Saturday is an off day, so I'd kind of take it easy on the throwing, depending on how I felt. And then uh, kind of do the whole thing over on Sunday, you know, Jaeger bands before, plyo balls, throw, lift after on Sunday, pretty heavy lift on Sunday. And then um, if we had a midweek game on Wednesday, I would probably try to long toss either on Tuesday, typically is what I would do. And so then I would be ready for a uh, Wednesday game during the week. What about now as a pro where you have a game almost every day? Um, and throughout the minor leagues and, and then in the big leagues, has your routine changed at all as you've gotten to this level where it's a much longer season? I mean, I know in college you end up, if you play summer ball, like you, you can have almost as long of a season, as many games as you do in pro ball. But right. uh, has your routine changed at all since you've gotten, uh, as, you, as you've jumped levels and moved up? You know, and I'm really big on consistency and having a routine. So, you know, I may have tweaked a a couple different things, but the overall structure of what I've 
what I do now is the same as in college. Now there's a, you know, there's more resources, more personnel at the big league level, but the core structure of what I do to stay fresh, you know, try not to be a sore. It's, it's the same as college, you know, lifting, make sure you get in the weight room, make sure you do your arm care, crossover bands, plyo balls. It's all the same stuff. Voice as a, as a hitting guy with, you know, hitting is my background. I, um, I'm really interested in the arm care stuff and just what pitchers are doing. And, and really just, uh, I'm sure it's different from, from guy to guy. And, uh, you know, I'm sure everybody's a little bit different with what they do, but it's interesting to me that when you got to the pro level, like your coaches weren't trying to necessarily change anything you were doing. Um, I always think that's interesting if you, if you know, how, how pro coaches would do it if they're, because a lot of times when you get to college, you're sort of establishing a routine for the first time. Not many high schoolers come in with a, a, a really rock solid routine. So college coaches primarily are trying to build the routine and trying to help uh, players to figure out what their best routine is. But a lot, I guess it's probably different when college guys, especially get to pro ball because they have something. Um, and it's just, it's interesting to me that, you know, your, your pro coaches have kind of let you do what works for you. They're not trying to necessarily change anything there with you. Right. No. And that's, that's one of the things, um, the coaches, when I got called up, that's what they said, you know, you're here for a reason, you know, the things that you've always done and the things that you do, it works. So we're not going to really change anything. And that's one of the things I really appreciated is that, you know, just because you make your debut and you're in the big leagues, you don't have to change, um, you know, whether that be on the mound or kind of behind the curtains and doing your arm care. Um, I will say, you know, when I got drafted in professional ball, you have strength coaches. So they do add and suggest, you know, new workouts, new exercises. But, um, and that's always nice to have is, you know, just another perspective on some exercises to do. And, but like, like I said earlier, my, my routine as a whole has kind of stayed consistent from college. Andrew, do you think that your arm bounces back so well just because that's sort of how your body was made, or is it the routine that helps you? And when I say that, you know, as a did your arm bounce back any different as a starting pitcher, or did you have guys on your college team or guys in pro ball that are just like, you know, they whether they throw one inning or, or seven innings, they they get pretty sore and they, it takes them a while to bounce back, and, and your body's just built a little bit differently. I'm curious about that because if if coaches are listening to this. Um, I think it's an important point for, for high school coaches or, or guys that are coaching middle school or even guys that are starting, uh, you know, to coach at the college level or, or whatever to kind of hear this from, from different perspectives. But um, do you think that that's, again, is it, the question is, I guess, is your, is, is your body built that way so that your, body, your, your arm bounces back really quickly and the routine kind of helps? Or is the routine what makes you bounce back so that, you know, anybody could really – be tra- could transition into a relief role and with the right routine they can figure out how to get their arm to bounce back or are some guys just built differently where they're sore no matter what so they almost have to start or be in like long relief type situations because once they start throwing like they're going to need several days to get it ready again is that is that a fair question to ask no yeah completely fair um i would say it's a little bit of both i was i'm blessed with a you know a bigger frame so I'm able to use, you know, I have really strong legs, which comes from, you know, years of lifting and working out. So I'm able to use my legs and use my body in a way that takes a lot of stress and fatigue off my arm, which in turn makes me less sore. But, you know, as blessed as I am with the body, like whatever you put into your body, you know, lifting, um, staying consistent with arm care, like your body will give that, you know, it, it shows. So I've really, um, I've taken, I've taken my body serious for a lot of years and I think that's helped me recover. Um, I do a lot of working out. I do a lot of arm care every day. Um, so I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah. Body, body size, body structure, how you throw, you know, how consistent is your, um, is your delivery, all that plays a factor in soreness and, um, with the right routine 
when it comes to arm care and et cetera, that'll help as well. I'd love to talk with you a little bit about um, your workout routine. And, and I want to talk about your off-season stuff as well, but I'd like to talk about in-season at this point. I mean, you're, you're a bigger guy, uh, but it's, you know, right. it's not totally that way by accident. Um, you know, part of it's God given and part of it is the work that you've put into it. But, uh, just, I'm curious about the, your in season workout routines and kind of what the goals are behind that. Are you, um, you know, and, and if it's different, you can talk about the difference between what you did in college and now it's a little bit of a different game as far as how, how often the team is playing and things like, you know, when you, when you for sure know you have off days, things like that. Um, right. but I'm, I'm interested to see kind of what the goal is when you're lifting. Is it, a, are you. Are you doing full body stuff every day? Are you trying to go at things, um, you know, pretty heavy? Are you trying to go a little bit lighter weight and more reps? Are you, uh, do you have a goal of flushing or do you have a goal of kind of, of, uh, of gaining or maintaining? Just sort of curious what the, what the workouts look like for you during your season. Okay. Um, during the season, I'm not as focused on, you know, building mass, getting stronger. I'm trying to, during the season, it's more a maintain what you've done in the off season, the strength you've made in the off season, maintain that through the year, um, along with flushing. I mean, flushing is very important, whether it be conditioning, icing, arm care. Um, but during the season, like I said, it's not as much heavy lifting. It's more about you know let's let's keep our flexibility. Let's, let's keep using the muscle, but we're not putting it under intense stress like we do in the off season because, you know, you have games every day and it's a long season. So you can't really, you know, wear your body out in the weight room when you need to be performing on the field. So you also got to listen to, you know, what your body's telling you. You know, if you're squatting, you know, once, a, one, two times a week, and you don't feel good on the field, then you have to realize and understand, like, hey, I need to back off the weight room. So it's all about understanding your body, knowing what your body needs. Um, and in the off-season, it's a completely different story. In the off-season, it's, it's all about getting stronger. So that way, when the season starts, like, you're in the best shape, and you can kind of maintain that. You can maintain that performance and physique that – throughout the whole year so yes off-season and in-season training is two different animals like what this this off-season what was your off-season goal as far as um in the weight room um did you did you have any specific goals going into the off-season and what did those look like for you if you did well so this off-season is a little different because i um i went down to cressy who is you know big into the um, baseball lifting and strength. He's kind of like the guru when it comes to that stuff. So I went down to Cressy, got an evaluation, and what he does is he personalizes the workouts to what your body needs. So let's say, you know, my land leg needs to be strengthened or, you know, I need a better weed block leg. Like, we need to work on that. So this offseason has been a little different and I don't really have any goals when it comes to, all right, you know, I want to be able to squat 500 pounds. I want to be able to deadlift 700 pounds. That's kind of, that stuff's kind of, you know, behind me. I'm not really into loading the bar and trying to, you know, do these Olympic lifts like I used to. So nowadays it's more, um, the workouts are more specific to my body type and what my body needs. Um, but at the same time, like I do squat, I do deadlift, you know, I do upper body stuff. So I am getting stronger, but you know, I'm not bench pressing. I'm not squatting and deadlifting and that's all like it's, it's, it's more, it's more complicated than that. Is that because you have, you have already built this base of strength or is that just because you feel like there's a better way to do it? And I'll ask that question, Andrew, to, um, thinking about younger players, whether it be high school or college guys, is, is what you're doing now a better way to do it? Or did you, did you have to sort of progress to get to a point where this 
could this could be your off season, you know, lifting program? Did did you have to build this base of strength that you've already got to get to this point? Uh, is, oh, absolutely. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, like I said, I've been lifting since kind of since high school, so I know that I'm strong enough. And now I'm at the point where, all right, I have the strength that I need to compete at the highest level. How can I make my body move better with that strength? So yeah, you're, you're 100% correct. I have the strength, like, you know, I've been lifting for numerous years. So I have the strength to do what I want to do. I just want to really emphasize and focus on how I can utilize that strength to my you know, to the fullest. So before we started recording, you said that you do give some lessons now and you have for the last couple of years and it's something you really enjoy. If you're working with like a, a, you know, 15, 16, 17 year old who, you know, who still needs to make some strength gains in their, in their progress, what, what would you be, would you be telling them that it would be uh, advantageous or a mistake to get like super specific with their lifting programs? Would they be better off just, you know, doing the Olympic type lifting that you were, that you've alluded to, uh, and just trying to gain general strength, like for that age of a player, I know you're not a, uh, you know, a, a strength coach, and, but, but just from your own experience, what would you, uh, what do you think would be the best route to go even for yourself when you were a younger kid? Like is, is the route you took the, the route that you would take again, if you could go back and do it again? Yeah. If I could do it again, I would, I would change a thing. And you're 100% right. I think, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18 year olds, they need to build the strength. Like you, that, that's very important. And I don't think, you know, I'm not sure if parents understand that, how big an impact strength when it comes, you know, from the weight room has on the field. That's when I saw my biggest jump my sophomore year, you know, uh, after my freshman year and into college, like I got really into lifting, and that's when I saw my biggest jump in, in velo. Um, uh, I wasn't as sore, so strength is a crucial part in just about everything in baseball. I I would say, so yeah, high schoolers they just need to focus on getting strong, and Olympic Olympic lifts are fine, you know. Um, I was squatting, deadlifting, bench press. I usually do dumbbell bench pressing instead of barbell just because it's easier on the shoulder. But that's about the only thing different, you know. I would, yeah, like you said, for for high schoolers, just get strong in that, in that stage of life. You also, Andrew, mentioned conditioning um, as part of what you do now. And I don't think that that's something that a lot of people would associate with uh, with major league baseball is, is the conditioning aspect of things. Maybe it's because people don't see guys doing it, or maybe it's just something that's not talked about a lot, mm-hmm. but, uh, I'm curious as to what kind of conditioning that you and some teammates do and, uh, you know, and maybe how often you're, you're doing that sort of thing. Is it just after on days you throw, or is it something that you're doing pretty regularly regardless, but I'm interested in the, in the conditioning side of things to see what, what guys at your level are doing. Yeah. So, you know, we get to the field, uh, depending on the game time, but typically around noon, one o'clock. And then you kind of go in the weight room, go to the trainers, whatever you need to get worked on that day. If you need to, you know, if your hamstrings are tight, go in the weight room, stretch your hamstrings, very generalized stuff at that point. And then, you know, we go out and throw and then we do, we have like a little conditioning session, whether it be football routes or, you know, change of direction work or sprint work. And then, um, let's say I throw on that day, that night after the game, I, you know, I'm in the weight room. I, there's treadmills run on the treadmill. You know, if it's a longer outing, I'll typically kind of increase the length of my conditioning session. You know, I may run for 10 minutes on the treadmill. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just about every day we're doing some sort of conditioning to flush the flush the body, stay in shape. So it's a lot more than I would say the average person sees. And I think a lot of average people out there think that maybe staying in shape is not that important for baseball players. Could you just kind of touch on real quick why you do think that's important? 
why that's something that's still focused on for for guys that are pitching at the highest level? I think it's very important because you know you got 162 games. I mean that's a that's a long season, and if you don't maintain and take care of your body from start to finish, you know towards the end of the season, your body's just going to start you know, falling apart, whether let's say you don't work out legs, your legs are going to get weak. You're not going to be able to produce the velo, you know, probably it's going to have an effect on command. So, you know, staying in shape and, you know, also staying in shape allows you to bounce back even faster or, uh, you know, allows you to go deeper into games just because you're in shape and your legs don't get tired after 20 pitches. You know, your legs are good for 40, 45 pitches and that's an important part when you're talking about relief pitchers because you only got a certain amount of guys in the pen but yet you know you have games every day so you need to be able to bounce back you need to be able to take you know take the baton from the starting pitcher and kind of run with it as deep as you can while also being able to bounce back in two three days so it's it's very crucial to stay in shape throughout the whole year Love to take a step back here and talk a little bit about just your start to pro ball. Um, I always think it's interesting to talk to guys that that have been drafted about you know about that day, about hearing your name called, and what that experience was like for you. I think each guy's story is a little bit different, and I think they're all you know I think they're all pretty interesting. Um, can we go back and talk about that? Do you do you recall much about draft day? Do you recall much about um, about that? Was it something that were, were you kind of sitting there waiting? Uh, to hear your name called, or were you doing something to kind of keep yourself busy and and wait till you got a call? Or I'm just curious about how that day went for you and and what it was like to hear your name called by the Angels. Yeah, I actually remember it very vividly, like it was yesterday, because it was you know kind of a dream come true. Um, me, my mom, and dad were kind of chilling at the house, sitting on the couch, you know, watching the draft on TV, and sitting in the chair and I get a call from an unknown number it was from California and I answered it and the angels were like this was in the sixth round they called me and they're like hey Andrew this is you know so and so with the angels we just wanted to let you know that we're going to take you in the next round um, so you can imagine my reaction I didn't really say a whole lot you know I said thank you and you know I'm looking forward to it and then we're kind of waiting there for a couple minutes for the next round to roll around and angels picks coming up and you know mom's crying dad's crying <laughs> and i was just kind of sitting there speechless and then you hear your name and it's just kind of like a surreal moment you know all the hard work that you put in all the sacrifice it uh it paid off and it was it was something i'll never forget that's for sure at what point did you think you had a shot to play pro ball um you know when did you when did you when did you make some jumps that made you think this could this could be something that could legitimately happen for you? Or when did you kind of start hearing from scouts for the first time showing interest in you? What was it was it in high school? Was it, did you take a big jump in college at some point when you started to get some interest? Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, I didn't have any interest out of high school. Yeah, I didn't didn't throw hard. I was a strike thrower, average off speed stuff. Um, but sophomore year. Going freshman year into the sophomore year, that's where, you know, I really off my game when it comes to lifting, getting stronger, long tossing, arm care. Because I knew I had the frame to throw hard. I just needed to utilize that and put some muscle on. So going into my freshman year, I was a buck, I was 190 pounds. And by the end of my sophomore year, I was 230 pounds. And that that's kind of when I started – you know, throwing hard, working on off speed. And like you said, kind of in the beginning of the bio, like sophomore year was kind of my breakout year. And that's when, that's when I knew I was like, all right, you know, I got a shot at this. And I was fortunate enough to play uh, in the Cape Cod league my sophomore year, which got me even more exposure when it comes to scouts and stuff. So I would say sophomore year and sophomore summer up in the Cape Cod league is when I really started to think like, Hey, you know, this, this may happen if I keep my head on straight, you know, stay out of trouble, keep doing what I'm doing. And, um, yeah, it was about sophomore year. I knew that I had a shot. 
you said something there that I just, I can't help, but, but kind of make a note of and want to talk to you more about is keeping your head on straight. Um, your seventh round draft pick, you, you made your major league debut, uh, you know, three years after getting drafted and, and there was only a partial season in 2020. And there, there, there are a lot of reasons why you don't have to be that way. There are a lot of reasons why, um, you know, you, you could have a much higher opinion of yourself, I guess, or, um, and be a lot less accommodating to other people, a lot, a lot less humble if you chose to be, but what, why, why is it that you stay like you are and, and what has, who or what has made you this way? You know, why, why are you like you, why are you like you are where you, where you really, you want to keep your head on straight and be that kind of a person? Why are you that way? And, and, uh, uh, I guess what's, what are the reasons behind that? Right. Um, you know, I got to give all the credit to my parents. Um, they, you know, they raised me to be humble. You know, they're both school teachers. So growing up in a household with both parents being school teachers, academics was extremely important because they knew both my, my parents were athletes. My mom, especially, I mean, she was, you know, she was like a three sport athlete in college. So she understood that, you know, sports aren't forever and that, you know, academics is, is always going to be important, you know, because, you know, like I said, you're not going to be able to pitch the rest of your life, so you got to fall back on something. So my support from my family, um, my sister Bethany, and uh, honestly my, my now fiancé, but Deanna, we started dating in high school. We started dating junior beginning of junior year of high school, so... I have always had a really good support support crew behind me. And, um, you know, and this is, I'm kind of saying this to the parents listening to the podcast, being there for your kids, you know, whether it be you just going to practice and showing up, you know, and talking about baseball on the way home, it's, it, it means a lot to the kids. Cause I know for me, you know, seeing my parents show up to practice or games, like it meant a lot knowing that they were there caring taking their time to watch me. And my parents also told me at a young age, stay humble, you know, um, nothing in life is guaranteed tomorrow. And, um, yeah, my parents have always said, you know, don't be cocky, stay humble. So that, that's kind of what, why I stay, you know, that's how I got to be who I am is from my parents, my upbringing, um, and also my fiance, I got great people behind me and I know that if I have a bad game, I know they're going to be there waiting for me behind the dugout, you know, to talk to me and, and kind of pick me up. Very important for parents to be there for their kids, whether it be a good game or a bad game. That's really great stuff. And, and an important message for anybody that's listening to this today, parents or or whoever it may be, just uh, the support system. Today's podcast it's is brought extremely to you by, important. Today's podcast is brought to you by Crossover Symmetry and ArmCare.com. If you want to build cannon arms this off season and stay in top condition all year, check out ArmCare.com. Developed by Crossover Symmetry, ArmCare.com measures players' arm strength and range of motion and delivers customized prep strength and recovery training based off each player's wellness scores, strength needs, throwing workloads, and fatigue. It gives you the tools to keep your players at their peak all season. So check out the team packages on armcare.com and gain a competitive advantage in player development. Your players will be healthier, throw harder, and win when it counts. Crossover Symmetry and armcare.com. Andrew, I think that those points that you made are are really great and really valid valid. I think it's interesting, always interesting to hear, you know, kind of the people that shaped a player shaped who they are and, and what kind of people that they are. And, uh, and the fact that you haven't changed that, you know, through the years, I think speaks a lot to you. Um, what's your relationship like now, you know, with people that have impacted you in the past, whether it's parents or coaches, do you, uh, do you find that it's important to stay in touch and kind of to stay grounded that way? Um, or have, you know, have, are, are the coaches that you're involved with now, like, are, are those the primary people that sort of just kind of keep you on track? Just I'm curious about it, not only on the baseball side of things, but I think it's important to have, you know, support system, um, just to, to, 
to to help players or or just people in general just to keep their perspective on things and to uh uh, you know, not get too high in the high moments, not get too low in the low moments. Can you just talk a little about your support system now and, and uh, you know, who you kind of rely on? You know, what, because I'm sure that with your travel schedule and everything else, it's 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 not always easy to stay in touch with people. Who are the people that you kind of count on the most at this point, Andrew? Um, yeah, like you said, it's a very demanding schedule. But, um, I you know, I talk to my – mom and dad every day you know they give me a call um and i think that's important to have that consistency when it comes to parenting you know my mom ever since i think i got a cell phone she's called me every day just to check on check on me see how i am and my parents are also you know they love baseball they've been by my side ever since i started t-ball at five years old they call me after the game no matter where i'm at and it's 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 hard on them because you know they're school teachers. They get up early, and I'm out in California, which is you know three hours behind. But they they make the effort, and it it means a lot that they show so much care and support. Calling me at one in the morning, you know, I call them at one in the morning Eastern time once our game's over. So f- during the season, it's my family and close friends. That's my biggest supporting crew if you will also my fiance you know i facetime her all the time but in the off season you know i i still talk to coaches from you know high school on i talk to my high school coach he shoots me texts during the seasons like great outing you know and we'll have a short conversation over text and um my pitching coach jerry edwards you know i me and my buddy Matt Frisbee, who's with the Giants, we actually stayed at his house down in Jacksonville, Florida this offseason, driving down to Cressy. So it, it, to me, you know, I don't want to forget where I came from because that's extremely important to me. And I wouldn't be where I'm at today if I didn't have, you know, my high school coach, college coaches, you know, whoever it may be. You got to stay in touch with those guys because they've impacted my life so much. I want to switch gears a little bit again and talk about something else you brought up a little while ago, and I'm, I'm kind of interested in how it's progressed since then. You said in high school you were a strike thrower that had average off-speed stuff. Uh, I'm going to guess now that since you struck out 38 guys in 27 big league appearances that your off-speed stuff has improved a little bit, uh, as well as some other stuff, I'm sure. Um, yeah. How do you go from average off-speed stuff to – you know, to where you are today, what, what's been the driving force behind that? Was there anything in particular that you did, uh, that you felt like really helped you improve your off-speed pitches to where, where they are today? Mm-hmm. Well, I'll kind of, I'll take it back a little further, you know, growing up, I didn't, you know, I didn't really, we didn't have the money to have, you know, go to a pitching lesson or, you know, any of that sort of stuff and figure it out. Baseball, unfortunately, wasn't around back when I was, 12, 14, 18 years old. So I was kind of on my own other than having my, you know, high school coach help me out. And then, you know, once you get to college, your coaches know a lot more. So at each level from high school, college, professional, big leagues, there's more resources, there's more knowledge. So, you know, as I got older, I was exposed to better coaching, um, you know, better drills, better, you know, ideology when it comes to how to throw the pitch or, you know, stuff like that. So once I got to college, you know, I had my pitching coach who was really good at really connecting with the player when it comes to the the mental side of the game. And that helped me out a lot. You know, like, let's say if we're talking about a slider, like, you can show me how to throw a slider, but if you don't have the right mental, you know, picture of how you want that pitch to end up, it's not going to go well. So Coach Edwards really helped out, you know, pick a target out on the catcher, and that's where you need to start your pitch, and it'll end up, you know, in the place where you you want it to end. And then once you get into pro ball, um, technology really kind of takes over. 
and you have Rapsodos and you have Trackmans and Hawkeye and all these technologies that really weren't a big thing when I was in college. So seeing the analytical side of how my pitches are moving and you have slow motion imaging of, you know, how you're releasing the pitches, that kind of, you know, you're able to develop your pitches, you know, way, way better than, you know, just kind of having a one-on-one lesson with somebody. So my, yeah, my off speed from high school to college increased dramatically. And then from college to pro ball increased even more. So it's just a thing, you know, the resources I had at different levels, how that impacted my off speed stuff. That's really interesting to me because now every, every kid seemingly coming up, um, you know, ghost is going to some sort of a showcase or camp where they're getting metrics back, right? They're, they're getting, Right. spin rate they're getting spin axis they're getting you know vertical break horizontal break on their pitches and it's it's just um i guess as a former recruiting coordinator like there's still got to be kids out there that just don't know what the heck they're doing you know throwing their off speed stuff it's oh, not yeah. like they can't they just the right people haven't haven't gotten a hold of them yet to show them how to how to do it and, and you're a great example of that you're not that old of a guy uh that that you weren't around that like a lot of this stuff I'm sure a lot of this stuff was around when you were, you know, at some point, maybe it was just kind of, kind of getting there, but anyway, it's just hard to believe that there aren't people like you out there that just, even though this stuff exists in the world and, and I, and I think people are very aware of it. That doesn't mean that anybody, maybe a kid has, uh, you know, has, has gotten on a track man or a rap Soto, but that doesn't mean a coach mm-hmm. has ever worked with him and taught him how to, how to throw his off speed stuff properly oh, or, yeah. or works them on to right. get better at it. So I think, you know, and I think the game of baseball nowadays with all the technology, I mean, the analytical side's not the end-all, be-all for, you know, pitchers. I mean, I was drafted, and I was I don't know, 22 or 23, and, you know, my first spring training, they're like, oh, you got, you know, you got good spin rate on your fastball. I was like, you know, what the heck does that mean? You know, <laughs> how am I doing that? So, <laughs> I don't, I don't. I don't want kids to think that, oh man, you know, I'm 17 and I have no, I have no way of getting this technology. It, you don't, it's not that big a deal not having it. I didn't have it. Like I said, I didn't use TrackMan or Rapsodo until I was in professional balls. So you don't need it. Now, if it's available to you, yeah, use it. It's, it's a great resource, you know, but it's not the end all be all, like I said. I think it's so interesting. And um, if, you know, if there are coaches out there that can do a good job of just kind of recognizing, you know, what um, innate tools a kid has and, and maybe can find some guys like you that are, that are, you know, bigger, bigger frame guys that, that uh, have a lot of room to improve in the weight room and maybe just don't know what they're doing, throwing their off speed stuff. Like I'm, I'm not a pitching guy, but I know that I, I would go, uh, and scout guys sometimes, and I would legitimately take notes that said, like, this guy's got pretty good spin on his pitches, but he has no idea, like, doesn't know how to throw a pitch, doesn't know how to throw this pitch. He doesn't, has no idea what he's right. doing with his curveball or his slider or whatever. And um, and I didn't know how to fix that, but I knew that we had a pitching coach that could fix that and, and felt like that might be a reason for a bigger school to overlook a guy that, that I, I liked. And, and this was kind of the one thing that he was missing, but felt like we could develop it. Um, just a really interesting part of, of baseball to me, I guess that uh, there's still, you can still find kids, right? You can still find kids that kind of fall through the cracks. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. What were your other options coming out of high school? Can I, can we talk about that a little bit besides UNCG? Um, you yeah, know, a guy that ends up uh-huh. being a seventh round pick and in a couple years later is a big leaguer. I'm kind of curious what life was like for you as a 16, 17, 18 year old, as far as your college options. Yeah, that's a that's a great great point. Um, in high school, I didn't really get looked at a whole lot, and I will say, you know, as any kid, I would imagine, you know, you you see yourself, oh, I want to play for, in my case, NC State or UNC. You know, you want to pitch for these big D one schools, but I think kids need to realize it's not all about the big power five schools. It's about going somewhere where you can develop your craft 
you you will play, you know, as a freshman. You don't have to worry about, you know, you go to a big D1 Power 5 school, who knows, you're probably going to redshirt your freshman year and, you know, waste a whole year uh, experience. So um, when I was in high school, I didn't get much looked at. I got looked at by UNC, Wilmington, App State, and then um, UNC Greensboro. So not all, you know, not big name schools by any means, but they had good baseball programs, and I was you know thrilled that UNCG took the uh, took a chance on me, and you know I'm a, I'm forever grateful for head coach Link Jarrett and pitching coach Jerry Edwards because I mean they really took you know kind of a string bean 180 pound six four pitcher and kind of you know guided me and built me to who I am today. I'm interested, Andrew, to also talk a little bit about your velocity and just kind of how how you've jumped there. I know that velocity is also not a be-all, end-all, but I'm sure that was part of kind of what uh, I'm guessing if you had a little more velo in high school without knowing what your velocity was, I'm guessing that you would have had more looks because you're a, you know pretty just a, a pretty big boy. Uh, unless you've grown a lot in, in, in high school too, but what was your, can you talk a little bit about just your, your velocity progression and kind of what were you, what were, what was your velocity when you were getting looked at by these colleges and just uh, kind of where you've gotten to today. And I just want to say this too, part of the reason for asking you this question is, is kind of like you said, if there are high school players out there that are listening to this, I want them to know that just because your velocity is this, you know, currently doesn't mean it can't jump. It doesn't mean you can't, play pro ball or, or play in the big leagues if your velocity is at a certain range when you're you know it's when you're kind of getting recruited for college it doesn't mean that's where you need to end up I'm just I'm curious about your velocity progression so in high school I was uh, I think I was about 86 87 to 88 89 maybe hit a 90 you know once in a blue moon so I wasn't very you know high velocity guy like you said, but I threw strikes and I had the frame. So that, that kind of helped me out when it came to the recruiting process. But, um, but once I got to college, you know, like I said, high school, you know, I did the Jaeger bands. I'd long toss occasionally. I was in the weight room, you know, as much as I could have been. But once I got to college, our pitching coach had a, you know, kind of a fall, throwing program that we went through it was consisted of long tossing um weighted balls you know kind of like step step behind weighted ball program and so that really helped my arm gain strength and endurance on top of getting stronger in the weight room and you know you have your strength coach in college that helps you out wherever you need to build strength they you know, he does a good job on that. They do a good job on that, but it really comes down to my velocity jump was getting stronger in the weight room, having a throwing program that I believed in and that I followed, you know, pretty religiously. And then diet as well. I think diet's kind of overlooked too. So if you eat right, work out, long toss, weight of balls, whatever you're arm allows you to do that's kind of when i saw my biggest jump andrew what is what does eat right look like for you let's let's go back to when you know when you were um you got to college and you you call yourself a string bean at that time and obviously you've put on a lot of weight yeah. since then you know what what did it what did your diet look like when you were trying to put on weight because i'm sure there's a lot of kids out there that uh you know, probably probably lift pretty hard and, and aren't seeing a lot of weight gain like they would like to. And, I, and I, I think in most cases that comes down to their diet, in my opinion. But what, what did your right. diet look like at the time when you were really packing on weight, especially from like freshman to sophomore year of college? Um, you know, so freshman year, I, I had a meal plan at our college dining also before, you know, lunch, before practice, you know, I'd have a decent sized lunch, you know, carbs, protein, vegetables, fruit, whatever, have practice, have strength, uh, have weightlifting. And then afterwards I would just, I'd pretty much eat as much as I could at the <laughs> dining hall. That was, some, that was my, uh, that was my goal. It was kind of a seafood diet. If you see it, you eat it. 
<laughs> and then sophomore year, I moved off campus in an apartment and you pretty much got to, you know, you got to learn how to cook essentially because you're kind of on your own. So we would just, me and my roommates, we'd cook up rice, chicken, get some vegetables, and we'd pretty much have rice and chicken, you know, throughout the whole week. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, diet, and even today, like nowadays in the off season, you know, I'd meal prep every Sunday or Monday. I'll meal prep for the entire week and I'll meal prep breakfast. So when I wake up, I have, you know, breakfast, potatoes, egg, sausage, bacon, whatever, and then lift, throw. And then when I come home, I have chicken, rice, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, and uh, a protein shake. And then I'll probably usually have the same thing for uh, dinner. So I think to, for me, eating right and fueling your body is just as, if not more important than what you do in the weight room and what you do on the field. A couple more things, Andrew, before I let you go, if you still have a little bit more time here. Mm -hmm. Um, I would like to ask you about uh, a couple, a couple things, I guess there's some that are on my list. I think I'd, I'd like to get into. I'd hate to not get into the first thing I want to ask you is just kind of what kind of pitcher you are. You strike out a lot of guys at this point, but do you consider yourself a strikeout pitcher? Do you go into an at bat uh, with the goal of striking guys out, or do you, or is that just a result of of making good pitches? Uh, you know what what's your do you consider yourself a strikeout pitcher? And, and if not, like what is your goal? You know, for for every at bat, yeah. is it weak contact? And you just happen to miss bats? Is it just kind of curious about what your mindset is um, now as a pitcher, and if you do consider yourself a strikeout pitcher? I, I have never and probably will never view myself as a strikeout pitcher. It's, to me, that's not something I don't think is smart because let's say, oh, you know, I'm just going to give an example. Fernando Tatis is up to bat and I'm like, all right, I got to strike him out. And you don't strike him out. Well, then you're kind of bummed because you didn't really reach your goal. So, you know, you're kind of flustered in the because you didn't strike him out. My philosophy is, one pitch at a time, execute each pitch the way it needs to be executed. And by the end of the at-bat, hopefully, you know, it's a good outcome. Now, I will say what I do strive for each at-bat is weak contact. If you can get weak contact, you'll never be in trouble. Um, I actually had a uh, – I got lessons – by this guy in my local town and his philosophy was you know for a pitcher your goal was to not let the hitter get 100% contact because if you can do that you'll never find yourself in trouble yeah you might get a blooper or you know a little dribble or through the hole but that's just how baseball is so my main goal is execute pitches you know don't back down from anyone or any situation and just trust yourself. You got to be able to trust yourself in this game and have confidence. That's an awesome example. Um, it, it's you know it's funny talking to somebody like you, and then you mentioned like oh when you face Fernando Tatis and it's like oh man you you face guys like that like I don't know, it's just it's just kind of a cool conversation for me to have with someone like you. Uh, very right. cool stuff. And that's that's kind of something I learned, you know, this year being a rookie. You know you're. You're always at home watching baseball and you're watching Aaron Judge and, you know, Stanton and Tatis and all these big name guys. And then, you know, little do you know, and, you know, I end up facing them and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, I see this guy on ESPN top 10 for hitting the grand slam every other night. You know, <laughs> what do you do? How do you handle the situation? And, you know, the catchers and the pitching staff at the big league level, they always preach on, you know, trust your catcher, trust the, you know, the work we do behind the scenes on learning what a hitter does and his tendencies. So you have to really trust the catchers. And, and that's one thing I have, you know, I have so much respect for the catchers on the Angels last year, Max Stassi and Kurt Suzuki. I mean, these guys study each hitter of every team for hours and hours. So 
it gives me peace of mind when I'm, you know, I've got second and third, one out, bottom of the eighth inning, and Fernando Tatis comes up. I'm not that worried because I know the guy I'm throwing to has done all the work you could imagine. So it, it makes my life easier knowing that I have some of the best catchers in the game along with, you know, the best guys behind me in the field. So it's not as – I wouldn't say it's as stressful – as you think it is, I mean, because it is stressful, but there's peace of mind knowing that you're, you know, you're you're going to battle with some of the best baseball players in the world. So that always makes it better, makes it easier. This wasn't one of the questions I wanted to ask, but I think it's a really relevant question now that you bring that up. Um, how much time do you spend prepping on hitters, or is it something that you – do you do trust your catchers on? And I ask that just as, you know, you hear different guys talk about different things. And as a, I'm a, I'm a big, you know, for people to listen to this, they know I'm a big pirate fan. It's, uh, you know, I grew up in this area and just have been a pirate fan my you, whole life. Yeah. You and my mom would, uh, you and my mom would be best friends. Right? We can lament together this, this coming year. There you go. Um, but you know, you, but you just, I, I, you know, I like to listen to guys after the games and talk about different things. And, you know, you hear from some pitchers that, uh, you know that they that they do probably watch a pretty good bit of film, and other guys that say, you know what, I just I just want to trust my catchers and whatever they put down. I just want to have you know full belief in that. So like I don't I don't watch a lot of video. I don't read a lot of reports. Whatever the catcher puts down, I'm going to trust it. And just throw it with conviction. You know what kind of a guy are are you? Do you uh, do you like to look at a lot of film? Do you like to study the hitters a lot, uh-huh. or do you uh, do you just trust that the catchers have a game plan and that you can follow along with them and and just trust them? Not not that it's a and I don't want to say that like it's a lazy thing for pitchers to do but you don't want to be on the mound thinking like it's maybe is it better for somebody else to do the thinking right so you know when i first got called up for the first month or two i didn't really watch that much film on my own just because you know i didn't want to fill my mind with all this stuff like just for a random example like i'll bring up tatis again you know tatis doesn't hit or maybe tatis hits two one sliders the best in the league like or he hits them really hard or you know i don't i didn't like um you know cluttering my mind with all that stuff just because the pressure and being a rookie in the big leagues it was it was enough by itself but as the season kind of got on i started watching more film kind of going over more stats and more analytics about guys and um probably this coming year I'll do, you know, I'll kind of increase that as I'm more comfortable with, you know, learning more things about hitters and not getting too overworked and thinking too much. So I didn't watch a whole lot to begin with, but as the season went on, I, I did more of my own research for sure. With a guy like Kurt Suzuki behind the plate, who's a longtime big leaguer and a very well-respected catcher, um, as as a rookie were you inclined to shake him off or did you just whatever he put down you you were going to say yes because you just because of who he is and and his track record and and uh and maybe a little bit of of like okay you you've been here a lot longer than me so i'm just gonna i'm gonna go with what you say um rather than than kind of uh, go ahead well for sure i mean kurt suzuki's track record speaks for itself definitely um so i didn't First of all, I didn't really need to shake him off because he kind of read my mind, you know, 95% of the time. But at the same time, you know, I know myself better than he knows me. So, you know, if there's an instance where I think this pitch is better, then yeah. And he made it clear, both catchers, you know, they make it clear that, look, this is your career too. Like, if you don't think the pitch I'm calling is right, do not be scared to shake me out. So they made that very clear and made it comfortable for me to know that, you know, hey, if I shake off Kurt Suzuki, who's been in the year, been in the league for ten plus years, you know, he's not going to be mad at me when we go in the dugout after three outs. So that was nice knowing that, you know, they came up to me when I got called up to like, hey, if I call a pitch and you're not going to throw it with conviction, don't throw it. You know, shake me off, and we'll get the sign. We'll get the pitch that you want. So, seldomly did I have to shake off, but when I did, it's because I knew that pitch in that situation was the best for me, and I I felt that would give me the best result. 
And, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So you just got to live with it. But there's nothing worse than throwing a, a pitch you don't believe will work and you don't have conviction behind it and you end up giving a home run or a double. It's just the worst feeling that's happened to me time and time again. So I've kind of learned from it. And I will shake off, you know, a catcher if I think it's not the right pitch. And I so think like that's... I said with these guys, I mean, they're they're spot on about ninety nine percent of the time. So you don't have to worry about shaking off too often. <laughs> and I think that's a veteran thing to do for catchers as well, because especially when you first get called up, like I'm sure they've they've seen you a little bit in spring training, and and you know, but they don't see you day to day, and they don't know uh, necessarily maybe what your best pitch is in a certain situation as much as you do. They know the hitter's weaknesses, obviously, but but sometimes it comes down to hitter's weakness. Um, are you going to throw to the hitter's weakness or, or throw to your strength? And sometimes those things don't match up. So I think that's uh, you know probably a really veteran thing to do on their part. Um, Andrew, I'd like to finish this up. Just I know we're, we're probably at about our time limit, but I just have a series of like shorter questions I'd like to ask you uh, with hopefully you know short answers as well, but just maybe some fun things to kind of wrap this up. Um, so you, you've you've done something that very few people have done in the history twenty some twenty two thousand people or whatever in the history of of the world have ever done and, and that's playing a big league game which I think is pretty great so I'm going to ask you a couple of questions along those lines um, when you first got the call Andrew you first got the call about going to the big leagues who was your first call after you found out you were going up it was my fiance because I knew she was up and you know we had texted after the game that night. So I knew she was up, so I knew she would answer right away. And then I followed that up by calling my parents because they were, you know, back home sleeping. And it was probably, I think it was, we were in Oklahoma City playing the AAA Dodgers. And I think it was about 3 a.m. in the morning, East Coast time, where my family was. So I knew it would take a little bit more time for them to wake up. So I, I called my fiance and my parents. What's the best stadium that you got to play in this past year? Uh, I enjoyed the Padres. Had a good atmosphere. San Diego's a cool town. Great weather. I think great playing surface. Good mound. I think that was probably my favorite. Uh, yeah. Seattle. Seattle at the end of the year when they were trying to make the uh, playoffs with the wild card. That was one of the most crazy environments I've ever been in for three games. I mean, it was packed house, energy every pitch, adrenaline through the roof. So I would say favorite stadium is probably San Diego. Best atmosphere was the last three games of the year at Seattle. Very cool. Who was the first guy that you pitched against? Do you recall that, that who the first batter was that you faced in the big leagues? <laughs> I think it was against the – I think we were playing the Orioles. But I couldn't tell you who it was. How about your I first no – any idea who your first strikeout victim was? Uh, no idea. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if those uh, things that, that you guys, you, that someone that like you keep track of. Complete, complete blackout. I don't really remember anything. <laughs> I know my first out. I know my first out was a pop up, and uh, <laughs> but after that, I it was kind of a blur. Who was one teammate that made you feel really comfortable when you first got called up? If anybody, or they just let you out there to kind of would, swim on your own. No, no, no. My, I mean, I was kind of going the opposite with it. Everyone, and that's what kind of was, kind of it made the transition not as stressful and scary. Is that all the guys were so welcoming, so nice, so generous, and you know they kind of make you feel part of the family right away. So you don't recall the first at bat, you don't recall the first strikeout very well. But do you have the do you have the baseballs? Did you get the ball um, from the? Yeah, I'm from actually. The... Yeah, I'm looking at the first strikeout ball right here. It's my fiance gave it to my fiance. It's on our dresser, but I have the first strikeout ball, and then my parents on the mantle back home have the first out. Very cool. What's um what was one of the if you made any I know you weren't up there all season but but obviously the uh, the paychecks get a little different when you get to the big leagues what was one one uh, purchase that you made once you got to the big leagues that uh, did you did you do anything did you buy anything in particular that uh, that maybe you just something was kind of on your mind whether it was for you or for somebody else did you make any kind of a first big league purchase once you started collecting those paychecks 
You know, not not really. I didn't I didn't really make a big time purchase during the year. Although, probably my favorite purchase to the day is buying my family dinner and when they came out to watch my debut. <laughs> That's something that you always remember, I'm sure. Um, Absolutely. Did you have any 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 particular wow moment that when you got when you got to the big leagues that was sort of like a you know, holy cow, I'm here, whether it was looking across the field at someone like an Aaron Judge or, or you know, or a Fernando Tatis or, or looking at your own dugout and, and looking down and seeing, you know, Trout or Otani or just anybody like that. Did you did you have a moment that you just it sort of really hit you like, holy cow, I'm, I'm actually here? You know, the, I think the first time it really hit me, uh, you know, I remember and I can, you know, see it in my head right now is pulling up to the stadium from the airport when I got to um, – Anaheim, you know, we pulled in the parking lot. It's an empty parking lot. It's massive. And then in the middle of the parking lot, it's this huge stadium that I'd never saw Angel Stadium before. So when I was pulling up to that, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, like we're here. So, and then, you know, you're right. When you, when you walk in the locker room and see Trout and Otani just hanging out, you're like, holy crap. <laughs> but you kind of get used to it pretty quickly. Last thing I want to ask you, Andrew, is is if you could point to one future goal that you have for yourself, if you don't mind sharing something that, that you have on your mind, but just can you share one future goal that you have for yourself at this point after having one big league season under your belt? Uh, I think my future goal is just to have another another big league year. I mean, I could probably say that for the next few years, but you know, just to kind of keep going because it's hard to get to the big leagues, but it's even harder to stay. So, you know, I think my goal every year is to have a a year in the big leagues. That's that's kind of my goal. I don't like to look too far ahead, but that's my goal every year. This has been great. This is Andrew Wance, everybody. Um, he is a, a right-handed pitcher for the Los Angeles Angels. Um, we, we're so lucky to have you on the podcast today, Andrew. This has been great. It's been one of the more enjoyable podcasts I've recorded lately and for, probably for a long time. And I, I appreciate who you are as a person and just that you can have a, a you know conversation with a guy like me and um, that you'll, you'll kind of grace me with your presence and, and humor me with some of the questions I ask. So this was great, man. I, I really sincerely appreciate your time, and, uh, and I really, really enjoyed this one. Well, I appreciate uh you know, you call on and reach him out, Jeff. I had a great time today. And, um, yeah, I had a blast. I'd do it again if you asked me to. Don't think I'm not going to call you back on that one. <laughs> today's, Absolutely. Today's podcast is brought to you again by Crossover Symmetry and ArmCare.com. If you have not visited the Figured Out Baseball website, I hope that you'll do so. But we also have uh, videos and podcasts on YouTube as well as our podcasts are available this podcast and other podcasts are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Um, once again, Andrew Wance, uh, everybody, I appreciate your time very much, and uh, best of luck to you this season. Thanks, Jeff.